I guess neither one of us are really showing up very loud. And in fact, I've got my headphones cranked all the way up. Yeah, I know we're um we're backed off the mic a little bit just so both of us can sit here. Yeah. Um, we're we're back further than I am solo. Um, but I figured I would just like edit it in post. Check check check. Hello. That's yeah, not too loud go. for you, is it? Okay, good. Yeah, we both no, now good. we look about the same size, but okay. I was really I don't know how it Jeez, gets messed awesome. up every week. <laughs> Bosco is currently in the background licking his dick. <laughs> he gets nervous if he's ever not in the room whenever I'm recording something. Uh. And every time I'm recording something, he goes right to town. <laughs> just He's just comfortable. Yeah. <sighs> okay, now should we get going? Yes. All right. Um, welcome to No Ghosts, No Busting. Which I guess would be true. <laughs> <laughs> That's also another name for No Nut November. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what is No Ghost, No Busting, really? Mm. The show about no, one... No, no, no ghost would be like, you can't leave a relationship without telling the person. And then No Busting is, well, I mean... <laughs> I was just prompting you for the second half of the intro. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, you didn't say I'm Tim Murphy. Oh, no, that comes after the show about one thing. Oh, watching Ghostbusters two for the first time. Do you even know time. what podcast you do? I don't know. Actually, it's a show about one thing: watching Ghostbusters two for not the first time. No, certainly um, not. Yeah, no. well, watching watching Ghostbusters two for a time. Yes, I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. And I'm Grace Hollowell. I'm back. Hey. <laughs> Welcome back. You must love the spookiness because the last time you joined us was uh, Hocus, Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, now, and it was actually your tweet that sort of prompted us to tackle Ghostbusters 2. Yes, it is my favorite of the Ghostbusters. Was it um was it something you tweeted to start? You said like no one can change my mind, but Ghostbusters Two is a New Year's movie. Well, I think Tim tweeted first oh, about yeah, it, and I replied right. to it. Okay, okay, I couldn't then, I couldn't remember if like we all did this off of a your tweet situation. I think I nudged you awake, like if you don't do this for the podcast, so help me God. <laughs> 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 yeah, I forgot which one of us. I thought I might have tweeted that it's a great New Year's movie at you, but I think you just tweeted, like, maybe inspired by the one that you saw, because I don't think I was mentioned in yours, but when I tweeted you back, I was like, it is maybe the only comedy sequel that is as good, if not better, than the original. Right. Uh, and then at, at No Hugging tweeted us, like, you know, which was an honor. Uh, but at No Hugging <laughs> tweeted us with the the ample list of people from the Seinfeld universe that were also involved oh in this movie. God. Maybe okay, more so, than yeah, any I'm, other movie we've done so far. I am going to have to pull that up. Yeah. <laughs> there are, by my count, 10 people from Se that are, share a collaboration between Seinfeld and uh, Ghostbusters 2. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, pretty amazing. And a cameo from Mr. Bobby Brown. Yes. <laughs> Which I didn't realize because I was like just out of that generation for being too young to like I knew who Bobby Brown was with Whitney Houston. But before her, I kind of didn't really know who he was. So I didn't recognize him until we looked it up. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I have a little, once we, well, I can just blow it right now, because I, I did a deep dive on this movie like never before, and it was one of my favorite movies. <laughs> I remember it coming out, I think I was in fourth grade, and it had just come out that summer before, and that song was absolutely huge, and also, um, like, MC Hammer was also big like that. Yeah. That summer, you can't touch this. Must have just come out too, and so I, I really wasn't familiar with either one, and I was just kind of getting into my own music in in fourth grade, and I, I loved MC Hammer, but I was like the, that song has some lyrics that I conflated with. You can't touch this, which are too hot to handle, too cold to hold, and I was like, that makes sense. In you can't touch this, that song must be you can't touch this, and so I've always kind of, <laughs> or at least in fourth grade, I confused them when. You Can't Touch This became the much bigger song and the much bigger part of my life. I, you know, I, I stopped confusing them, but but I was for sure that that line is just so perfect. It should have been in a song called Can't Touch This. Right. <laughs> Did you ever dress up as a Ghostbuster as a kid? Not as a kid. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I have a great, I mean, I got to admit, I put the, like this, this outfit. I still have my Ghostbuster jumpsuit and um, blow up like inflatable... Uh, proton pack that I got for a costume uh, thing that I had to host like at the last second um, in Jackson, Mississippi, when I lived down there. And I was um, it's very tough for me to, to find Halloween costumes because I have to wear glasses all the time. Yeah. And Egon Spengler is one of the few pop culture uh, people that actually wear glasses yeah. all the time. So I got a great <laughs> Egon wig and I got even a name badge that said Spengler and I nice. got the Ghostbusters jumpsuit. Yeah. So I have a I have that ready to go if I ever need a, a costume in a hurry again because it, it awesome. came together pretty well yeah yeah have you seen the new one i won't spoil anything but that's perfect for the the new no uh, you guys saw it yes i thought it was pretty good um the little actress she's not even little she's probably like what 15 <laughs> no idea um mckenna grace is her name she's done a few marvel things yeah and recognize her name wasn't she a she, TikToker? Oh, no, Is that what you were saying? no, no, no. She's like an Oscar oh, nominee. That's right. She was little Tanya Harding in oh, I Tanya. Oh, wow. Um, and she plays Spengler's granddaughter, and she did a really, really good job. Um, I was really impressed. And I mean, there was a lot of like, Okay, this is definitely like fan servicey moments, yeah. but I thought it was still pretty, pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah like it was, um, it, it was not too fan servicey, but like a p- perfect amount. Like I didn't want any more, but I didn't feel like it was too heavy handed with what was there. It's funny just how many Ghostbusters threes there kind of are, because you know, obviously, <laughs> and, and we can kind of unpack this after, because um, again, like I said, I did I did a pretty deep dive on it. So, um, but they, of course, you know talked about a sequel to this one um and it'd been talked about for a million years and and um oh hang on a second colleen just got roblox so, oh yeah. god i was gonna say wow she sounds like a whole teenager now <laughs> yeah yeah and so you know obviously the the parental controls are pretty tight on it and I, she's supposed to be able to chat with friends but i don't know i'll have to but supposedly she can't and so i'm i'll have to just delve into that later but that was the mm. issue <laughs> um but yeah so like um you know, every time a new one comes out, they're kind of like, oh, this is the third one. Or even like that video game that came out for the Wii, which, by the way, is awesome. 
um if you've huh. if you've never played it before even dan Aykroyd was like yeah that's kind of the third one like we were gonna do that and <laughs> and um and then the ghostbusters like the woman reboot came out the female reboot came out and they were like yeah this is the passing of the torch and then that one kind of bombed and then yeah. a- afterlife i guess is kind of the maybe the most successful of all of the ghostbuster threes that there have been attempted yeah and i remember watching the cartoon from yes. the early 90s um that had like cartoon Slimer and yeah, I don't remember any of the plot other than it was. They would just bust some ghosts every week. Yeah. yeah, the the real Ghostbusters, which was again confusing as yes. a kid because <laughs> there was another show called Ghostbusters, and this is um I didn't even take any notes on this, so it might be fuzzy, but there was a company called Filmation that owned the rights to this old movie called Ghostbusters. And it was about oh two men and a gorilla who went around. And a, the gorilla wore like a detect, like an that old style, like fucking fedora. rules. <laughs> Holy hell. That and was like always an 80s cartoon thing. Like a gorilla. A yes. A monkey. Was, yeah. An ape of some <laughs> or, or sort. Just, or just any animal companion. Yes. You know? Yeah. yeah. But uh. so, and, and so they sort of like, after Ghostbusters, the movie was a huge hit. They were like, hey, Ghostbusters. And kids like me would tune in and go what two guys and a gorilla and like i think there was a skeleton that followed him around too and so that's why when they made a ghost a a real ghostbusters animated show they called it the real ghostbusters and both were running concurrently and you kind of never knew when you were a kid when you showed up to the channel like what am i gonna gonna watch yeah what is this gonna be but the weird thing about ghostbusters 2 is ghostbusters the animated series was such a huge hit it probably kind of helped this one get made and that's why you see slimer more in this one because there's really no reason for him to come back he was such a small part of the first one but they made him like their pet kind of again yeah. an animal companion uh in <laughs> in the cartoon that they made him a part of this and he had he actually had a much bigger storyline with lewis tully who by the way was added to the real ghostbusters after ghostbusters 2 he wasn't a character in it beforehand but um their receptionist hair as well that's why annie potts looks so different in this one because they made her look more like she did in the cartoon yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, um, you know, it had a pretty, pretty big effect, I guess. Um, so what do we need to know before we? We've already kind of started diving in, but um, Ted, do you have all the info you normally have? I do. So do, right. we, do we want to start up with the description? Yeah. All right. So if you're calling up Movie Phone on <laughs> June sixteenth, nineteen eighty nine, that's the day this uh, was released in theaters. You're gonna hear. After saving New York City from a ghost attack, the Ghostbusters, a team of spirit exterminators, is disbanded for demolishing parts of the city during the battle. But when, when Ghostbuster Peter Venkman, Bill Murray, mm. learns that spirits have taken an interest in his son, the men launch a rogue ghost-chasing mission. The quest quickly goes awry, landing them in court. But when the ghosts turn on the judge, he issues an order allowing the Ghostbusters Jeez. to get back to work. <laughs> Isn't that like all in the first 20 minutes? Yeah, it takes you pretty far in, and also it's yeah, incorrect. That's where not are you? His son. Yeah, where did you get this? This is this is on Google. This is Google, which is pulling it from Wikipedia, or not Wikipedia? IMDb. Um, probably some IMDb. Yeah, this is, this sounds like some if we, IMDb bullshit. If we if we look on <laughs> no, nah, if we look on IMDb, description is just the discovery of a massive river of ectoplasm and a resurgence of spe- spectral activity allows the staff of ghostbusters to revive the business i like that better the yeah. other one was yeah. like a straight up synopsis that's a good right. description right there if i was going to look in tv guide at the movie of the week and i saw ghostbusters 2 was on sunday night on abc that's what i'd expect yeah. to see right probably, there probably probably a lot more the latter yeah um so if we're looking at 
reviews, ratings and reviews on this. If you're looking at IMDb, out of 197,000 ratings, Jeez. it's got an average of a 6.6 out of 10. Wow. That seems low. Yeah. You think? Yeah, I mean, okay. at, at least in my opinion. Okay. Uh, skipping over to Rotten Tomatoes, if you are looking at the critics' ratings, it has got a 53% splatty tomato out of 38 critic reviews and over 250,000 audience ratings. Um, like, they, they stopped counting. It just says 250,000 plus. Wow. And it's got a 61% standing up popcorn bucket. That's still too low, and I was surprised to learn that this movie opened to generally negative reviews. I thought everybody mm. had. I thought everybody thought about this the same way that Grace and I did. That this movie is just a just one of the best, if not the best, comedy sequel of all time. Just a, one of the few great sequels that actually stands up to the original. But I, I read that critics said they just saw this largely as a copy of the original. Which I'm watch when I watched the two, I'm like. That is not the case. Like you can make that case for something like um, <laughs> the spy who shagged me. Like that's obvious. Like they do the literally the exact same jokes as Austin Powers International Man of Mystery. But this one, like just because a giant thing walks through the city again, like it's the same movie. It's it, it seems like they there it, it it wasn't a copy of the original to me. And and they also didn't like that it softened the cynical dark humor of the original to be more family friendly to bring in more kids since the cartoon was such a big hit. So I was surprised to learn that that not everybody loved this movie and considered it a great follow-up yeah i mean maybe it's just the company that i keep personally but all of my friends who are fans of the ghostbusters franchise love the second one the same if not more than the first one yeah and i don't know if you read this in your research but i saw that i think it's an IndieWire article that bill murray was like against the creation of Ghostbusters 2. He, like, didn't want to do it. He thought it was just going to be made all for the money and not the right reasons. Yeah, and yeah, he that... hated all sequels. He was like, oh, yeah. sequels are just done for greed. I don't want any part of it. Right. And then I guess he said he was tricked into doing it on, like, a false, <laughs> like, this is what it's going to be about and got all of them in a room together. And then they had so much fun because it was like the first time they had all seen each other in a while. Yeah. Um, and then he was like, all right, fine, I'll do it. And then it was a completely different story than what he was led to believe it was going to be. Yeah, I, I did hear about that. And the the sequel was just kind of doomed. That, like, that's why it came out five years later. You figure, you know, right. a sequel to, at the time, it was the highest grossing comedy of all time ghostbusters was and so the fact that a sequel took five years was just crazy but um the the development you know they had to get approval from all four co-creators that's another thing that kept ghostbusters 3 from getting made for so long because ivan reitman bill murray dan Aykroyd, and harold ramus always had to sign off on anything regarding ghostbusters and if one of them said right. no they had full veto power so i don't think it was like a three out of four kind of thing i think it was like if someone didn't like it it didn't get greenlit um and so actors were like booking other projects like bill murray was on scrooged and he, he actually took a break from acting because he came out with this drama and it kind of bombed and so he took a break for a while and then signed on to scrooged and then that kind of ate into the production schedule of ghostbusters 2 there was also a head of head of studio the head of columbia pictures like did not want anything to do with ghostbusters he wanted to make like i think like smaller 
um, more like meaningful quote unquote pictures <laughs> for like the foreign market and Oscars and stuff like that. So they had like an a-hole head of studio who hated them. They, they It took a year to write the script. And then once everything was agreed to, they had to negotiate their, their salaries. And so one thing I read about that was it's not close to it, but the, the number was like 10% of box office for Reitman, Murray, Ackroyd and Ramis. But supposedly it's, that's, not exactly true, but it's it's close, uh, I think is what Reitman said. And the principal cast and crew, like there'd been a lot of bad blood, like you were saying, that led to that dinner with all four of them, that like very private dinner that was organized and got him in the same room. And Ramis said there was like some air to clear regarding, you know, uh, like all their friendships and stuff like that. And so once that was done and yeah, they were in the same room, they were like, this is fun. It's going to be fun, just like last time. And then evidently, I guess it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well, if you are looking for a little more insight on some of these critic reviews, why it was given a 53% splatty tomato, tomato, <laughs> on the splatty tomato, <laughs> the tomato meter. <laughs> uh, oh man. Yeah. I forgot to drop the thermometer. <laughs> anyway, uh, if you're looking at some of the certified critics, let's go to Colette de Donato from common sense media, who gave it a four out of five originally saying Murray's in his prime here as one of the four fearless slime fighters in a sequel that is just about as funny and entertaining as the original. There we go. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. He's on our side. <laughs> However, if you want to look at, let's see, should we go to, oh yeah, let's go to Kathleen Carroll from the New York Daily News Ooh. wrote, the sequel is, on the whole, a fairly mechanical spook show filled with grinning ghosts that are definitely ghoulish, but hardly menacing. Eh. I mean, none of the ghosts in the first movie were menacing. <laughs> yeah, really. They're all kind of like Muppets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what does she want? Does she think it was like a horror movie? I guess maybe she had never seen the first one. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't <laughs> like... scary. <laughs> Oh I mean, from the artwork on the movie poster, it's a ghost giving the peace sign, so yeah. I don't know how scary that can be. <laughs> what is what is a natural transition for us to get to talk about Slimer's fat ass and like us seeing the Slimer like booty meat at Universal? <laughs> I mean, I think you just got to dive right into it. <laughs> okay, dive into so... that booty meat. <laughs> Whenever we were at Universal for our honeymoon, uh, you can't go anywhere without seeing like a statue or a, a character of some of their ip and slimer was one of them because we happened to be there around halloween and uh they have this huge bust this huge statue of slimer in one of the gift life shops. size yeah <laughs> life size yeah um but i i don't get this behind slimer he had the hugest ass I've ever seen on any fictional character. Wow. I can't... And yeah. Spirit Halloween, too, a few years ago, had, like, a Ghostbusters line. And they had a Slimer, and it was the same thing. They just made him super thick for no reason. And, like, he's not that thick in the movie. Like, he, he's got a butt crack, but he's not got a juicy donk. That's I mean, weird. maybe the cartoon has something that we're not remembering. <laughs> I would imagine. I'm thinking of the cartoon, and if I was going to draw a Slimer, I'd draw him with the point that a ghost who is traveling forward no would normally have. You know, all the um, yeah. ethereal, whatever, all of the material <laughs> would, um, you know, come to a point there as it traveled. You know, and that's the way I would picture him. I, I, I he does turn around in the movie, so I didn't even notice that that he that he had an actual uh, that he had actual cheeks and stuff. Um, 
So that is weird. <laughs> yeah, like he's he's got actual cheeks, but it's just like big flat butt, you yeah. know? It makes sense because like eating it, they made eating his thing, which was right. weird. He's a ghost <laughs> that eats everything. So, yeah. All right, if you are looking at or no, how do I start this part? Um, all right, Tim, if you like Ghostbusters 2, according to uh, Rotten Tomatoes, you might also like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which has got yeah. a 41%. I'm hoping the original live action movie, right? Yeah, it mm-hmm. looks yes. like it. Or hang on, should I should I give out the the score for each of these movies? Do you want to try and guess where they're, where they're oh, ranked? Uh, teenage, I'll say Teenage Mutant Ninja we- Turtles is around a four. Did you say that already? I did. I said it was forty one percent. Oh well, oh, uh, maybe that's <laughs> you're right I, on the money. Maybe I heard it. <laughs> I might have heard. Uh, it. N- next up, if you like Ghostbusters two, you might also like Bill and Ted's Bogus oh, Journey. Man. Okay. By the way, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two: The Secret of the Ooze is also a sequel that might be better than the original. <laughs> and Bogus Journey, I- I'm gonna put in the same exact category. I mean, yeah. Excellent Adventure is great, but Bogus Journey just built on everything and took us to a whole new level and also was like a a movie that I worshipped, um, you know, probably around this same time. Um, But I'm going to give Bogus Journey, like, I don't know, maybe maybe it was good enough for a five. Mm, Okay, uh, 56%. Okay, around there. I was a little low. Okay, well, I'm glad you brought up all of these uh, movies that had really great sequels because, Mm. Tim, if you like Ghostbusters 2, according to Rotten Tomatoes, you might also like... Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, that one I'm going to say is not as good as the original. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to stop the trend right there and say that I did not enjoy When Nature Calls as much. I mean, look, it, it's great, but it, it can't match just the just the impact of the original. But I'm going to say, so I'm going to say When Nature Calls also was around a four. Ooh, 25%. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I was giving it the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but critics hated you, Jim Carrey. You got to remember that too. Like critics thought yeah. he was just like the worst thing to happen to movies ever. <laughs> I kind of had a thing against Jim Carrey as a child too. I don't know what it was. I like felt he made me uncomfortable. Yeah. So like with the Grinch, I think that was like was it like the, his one of the first things of his that I saw, and I was like, <laughs> I don't know something about this. It's not scary, but it kind of makes my stomach feel sick. Was it like his grin that he would do? Yeah, and maybe like his mannerisms and how yeah. spastic he was. But as a kid, I was like, mm, I don't know if I want to be around that. <laughs> um, Tim, if you like Ghostbusters too, you might also like the Cable Guy. Speaking of oh, Jim Carrey, there we go. We've had a lot of. I feel like we've had a lot of um, carryover from the Cable Guy and Seinfeld. Oh yeah, um, a lot the, of carry over. Uh, medieval <laughs> Times always comes up, and Janine Garofalo, who was of course on on Seinfeld and, and engaged to Jerry in the show. But I don't know why that, that that movie has come up a lot on our podcast. Might have to put it on the list. Mm, man, I, I haven't watched it in probably mm-hmm. 15 years. I'd love to watch The Cable Guy again. And lastly, Tim, if you like Ghostbusters 2, according to Rotten Tomatoes, you might also like Back to the Future Part 3. Interesting. <laughs> Definitely my least favorite of, of the three. But, you know, another great, another great sequel. You know, they took us someplace, someplace new. And if uh, if you had to guess the the rating for that one, what would you say? I I think these are all as far as critics go. I'm gonna put this at another four. Uh, how about you double that? It's an eight. 
<laughs> oh wow. wow back to the future part three is an 80 percent certified fresh on rotten tomatoes i love that movie and i think that's too high <laughs> <laughs> um all right i i think that's everything i've got okay um i do want to mention that it was released on june 16th 1989 ghostbusters 2 came out on june 16th a week before batman um the very first batman tim uh tim what's his name Burton? Burton, the Tim Burton Batman movie. Yeah, so Ghostbusters 2 opened in 2,410 theaters compared to the original, which opened in 1,339. So 1,000 more theaters Ghostbusters 2 was playing in. Damn. And it was expected to dominate, but instead it earned $215.4 million during its theatrical run compared to the original's 28, uh, I'm sorry, $282.2 million. So Ghostbusters 2 was the eighth highest grossing film of the year. And that was all off of a budget of 30 to 40 million. So I think it had wow. double the budget of the first one. And it only made $70 million less, $60 million less, whatever, somewhere in between there. Um, and and it was considered a critical and financial failure by Columbia Pictures. Which is another reason why they didn't sign off on part three immediately. Um it earned $29.5 million and was the number one film its opening weekend, ahead of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which was in its fourth week of release, and Dead Poets Society, which is in its third. But then the next week it was trounced by Batman and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which had also um, Louis Tully, the great Rick Moranis, and, yeah. a Ro- and a Roger Rabbit short, which I remember them <laughs> playing before Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and it being a major part of the ad campaign. Like, yeah, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is going to be good, but... It's also got a Roger Rabbit cartoon ahead of it. So that's why most people, I think, went to see it. Um, and it, it fell 53% that second week to $13.8 million. In number four, it um, in its third week, it fell behind Karate Kid 3. And in week four, it fell behind Lethal Weapon 2 and Weekend at Bernie's. And it left the top 10 in week seven. It had a 15-week run in all. And so it failed to meet studio expectations as a sequel to the highest grossing comedy of, of all time. And also, it was the most successful summer to date, thanks mostly to Batman's $251 million haul. And the best weekend in history to date was during the summer of uh, 1992, uh, the best weekend at the box office across all the movies. And so the fact that, I guess, Ghostbusters 2 didn't make more than the first one, which show me a sequel that that does that. I don't think they normally do that, even back in the late 80s. Um, and so that's why everyone was kind of like, all right, the Ghostbusters are, are gone. Um, but then, you know, as we already talked about, they kind of brought it back around. But I wonder if when Bill Murray heard about the first idea, if it was the first draft of the, of the script, because, and that's what he agreed to, because it's absolutely nuts. So Dan Aykroyd wanted to avoid New York City and just travel somewhere different. So the first draft of the script followed Dana Barrett, who is kidnapped and taken to Scotland, where she discovers a fairy ring a naturally Whoa. occurring ring of mushrooms, sometimes linked in folklore to fairies or witches, and she finds an underground <laughs> civilization. What? Yeah. That sounds like um Troll, troll <laughs> I was gonna say yeah. Yeah. Or troll. troll. We didn't watch Troll Two. Yeah, yeah. Or like the labyrinth with David Bowie or something. Yeah, it does. It it, it instead of sci fi and, and supernatural or paranormal, they went totally fantasy fraggle uh, rock yeah i'm so <laughs> glad that that first draft did not did not come to fruition yeah um the other thing i want to uh, ask before that we get started how did you guys watch this movie because i i couldn't find it streaming for free anywhere except free on free form through my cable company and i'm like 
well, that might be edited for some. I don't know what's in this movie, so I didn't I didn't watch it that way. How did you guys yeah. watch it? I I gotta say we we rented it on Voodoo, but I am so upset that this is not available to stream. This is like yeah one of those movies that just should be on like I know Netflix it, it or used something. to be on Netflix like probably ten years ago now at this point, um, but. This is like the the prime movie yeah. that someone gives you an example whenever you're watching a YouTube video and they're shilling whatever VPN service they're trying mm-hmm. to sell to you. They're like, oh, man, I want to watch Ghostbusters 2 on Netflix, but I can't in the United States. But if I fire up Express VPN, I can watch it and pretend I'm in Austria. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's one of the, And it's one of those movies that, like, people can't be fighting over the rights to this. You know, it can't be like that hot, right. you know, tent pole movie that some streaming service is going to get. Just buy it and put it up. You know, it's probably in a whole package of Columbia Pictures movies. Like, hey, you you know, give us a, a million dollars. We'll give you these 10 movies, you know. Um, but, so I was going to I looked everywhere on every I looked on. I was I thought for sure that Chris Ryan had this in his collection on Voodoo, but he does not. Um, so. And I almost pulled the trigger on renting it on Amazon until I remembered I own it on DVD. No way. Yeah. (laughs) I bought the 1999 special edition release with Ghostbusters. So it came, they came in a set with like a little scrapbook from the first movie in between them. And I I tore open my closet and I found it there. I was like, hell yes. Sorry, Bezos. No (laughs) $3.99 from me. Damn, we yes. voodoo. Yeah, we we rented it in voodoo on voodoo, and I rented it specifically in standard def. Not only because I oh, I no. saved a buck, but I I was like I kind of want to watch it in standard def just to get that '80s charm, and it had the '80s charm. I gotta say, I was surprised at the quality of my DVD. I thought it was gonna be all fuzzy like DVDs normally are, but it was. I had a pretty clear picture, so I don't know. Um, you know, it. Uh, I don't know what the technology was like at that point, or if it's my player or something. But was it? It wasn't. Was it still letterboxed in SD, or was it in like four three with the the ones on the side? It, it was. It was in four three. Oh no! See, I liked it. I thought it was kind of cool. Well, okay, because I I know this movie and the first movie too. Both of these movies are when you watch them like that, the worst pan and scan <laughs> movies. <laughs> That I've ever the worst pan and scan transfer that I've ever seen. If you if you didn't grow up with four three TVs, um, and so pan and scan was like they would take the 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 screen and they would focus on one aspect of it. But when they needed to move to another character or whatever talking, they would have like an artificial camera movement that would sort of pan over to that character talking or whatever action was going on there. And it was super super obvious and zoomed in and looked always looked awful. I just remember this movie being like that. Doesn't pan and scan only affect whenever you're taking a movie that was originally in 4.3 and trying to update it for HD? No, it's the opposite because you're taking the widescreen and you're you're cutting off the sides so you can make it a square. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, I didn't notice anything too distracting. Yeah. Maybe they fixed it or, or something. Um, yeah. Because I actually read something about this. So the original VHS and Laserdisc, disc, Laserdisc, Laserdisc <laughs> release, they were in letterbox, prompting calls to RCA Columbia to find out if there was a printing problem because people didn't want those black bars at the top. They didn't realize that they were missing something when they weren't there. But to make matters worse, it wasn't letterboxed in the film's original aspect ratio of 2.35 to 1. It was letterbox and pan and scanned into a 1.66 to 1 frame. Holy so shit. 
if you liked full frame movies that took up your entire 4.3 TV, you still had the black bars at the top and bottom of the screen. But if you wanted the, your, the film in the original aspect ratio, you didn't get it because it was still cropped on either side and pan and scanned in some shots. So it was like fake letterboxed. It, it was just a just a horrible mess. The DVD release, the one I got in 99, was the first time the movie was presented in its original aspect ratio on a home release. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll have to go back and run it again or find that DVD to see if we missed anything. Yeah, maybe Yeah, maybe you didn't miss anything. I mean, if it looked okay to you, that uh, I'd be yeah. interested to see if when you watch it again, you're like, oh, man, you know, because it's like, um, it, it's I guess uh, it, the opposite effect would be like what The Simpsons did or I guess like what Seinfeld did when they remastered it and made it for, you know, 16.9 TVs is, you know, they cut off the top and bottom. And so you miss stuff like the Duff joke or the pothole in Seinfeld and stuff like that. So I guess that's the opposite problem. I don't know which version. I don't know which version you watch. It's just weird that you can still rent stuff in in four three, you know, in standard def. Yeah, well, they they had like three separate options to rent it on Voodoo. You could rent it on standard def for two ninety nine. You could rent it HD and standard def for three ninety nine, or you could rent it on standard def HD and 4k again this is just a 48 hour rental i don't know why someone would need three different <laughs> versions of the movie well for this very purpose yeah for yeah yeah eight to compare. dollars wow for eight bucks i'm not gonna Jeez. rent a movie for eight bucks yeah for the 4k ghostbusters 2 um yeah, slimer's cheeks and 4k <laughs> and the one thing i gotta mention about my awesome dvd copy is it has a lost art it has a great DVD loading, no, not loading screen, menu screen, a DVD menu screen, Ooh. which, yeah, it, it has like, two, you know, it has play movie, scene selections, and then it has two of the real Ghostbusters episodes on on there, too. Um, and it plays a three second loop of and it's not even a perfect loop, but it's a three second loop of the Ghostbusters song, the Ray Parker Jr. version. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So if you remember DVD menu screens, they always had that like three seconds of looping music that never matched up. Like they could have matched it up maybe and just made it sound like, but no, it would always fade so, out and kind of fade back in. So please tell me it was just dun, 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 over I, and over. No, I think it was like, who are you going to call? <laughs> Ghostbusters. Dun, dun. And then it would start out and then it would fade out and then kind of come back in <laughs> a couple beats later. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. And <laughs> it, it sounds like hell. Yeah, I would always like in college, I would always put on a DVD and fall asleep. And then you wake up and the loading screen is on and you sort of come yeah. out of your sleep to the same three second. <laughs> like I remember Meet the Parents. I can still sing the Meet the Parents menu screen music. It goes like this. That's the and then the, over and over the again. The one that sticks out in my mind is The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. Because it was just part of... Uh, this is Halloween over and over. Oh my god! And that would be one that I would use to fall asleep and wake up to it being blaringly loud and then <laughs> cutting out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were always ten times louder than the movie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, and I, I always appreciated whenever they were, at the very least, a single level volume. Yeah. Because sometimes they would, they would build and build and build and then they would come back down. And then they'd yeah. build and build and build. You know, it, it's almost like they were trying to wake you up. Yeah, yeah, probably. It was like, don't don't nap longer than ninety minutes. You should wake up. Um, <laughs> I, I do kind of want to make now, like you know, ten hours of chanting. This is Halloween. Just that one part. This is Halloween. This is yeah. Halloween. This is Halloween. <laughs> this is Halloween. I'm sure that already version. exists. Yeah, it's probably out there. Everything already exists when you think of a YouTube video. <laughs> um, 
So how, what do you say we finally start talking about the movie? Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? Uh, just a, just a half an hour in. Um, as always with these, you know, we don't necessarily do a scene by scene thing. So, if, you know, feel free to jump around to the beginning or end or whatever. But I think with any Ghostbusters movie, I mean, you have to start with the intro. I felt like the intros to Ghostbusters movies, even the bad ones, and I did not like the 2016 Ghostbusters, but they all start kind of the same way. An immediately recognizable character. There's action right off the bat. No credits. I love the fact that there were no credits. There's not even a title card. There's just a logo. Right. They're like, you know what this is. You know yeah. why you're here. Let's get into it. Yeah. And and there's a big scare right off the bat with the um, you know, uh the the stroller, mm-hmm. you know, moving through traffic and stuff like that. And I love the great switcheroo with their new line of work that you find out, you know, you see Ecto-1 racing through the streets and then they show up and, and the dialogue is so well written here. The whole script is great, of course, but um, where, you know, they're like, how many are there? Oh, about 13. Like, how big are they? Huh, about four feet. And then you find out it's a birthday party. Like, that's just such a <laughs> yeah. great uh, little trap door. I love that they were also like, we want He-Man. We yeah. want He-Man. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Hilarious. Don't they Don't they even like uh, in doing the song, who are you going to call? He-Man. Yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, so the kid who comes up and starts talking smack to the Ghostbusters right away is Ivan Reitman's son, Jason. Okay. Yeah. Who went <laughs> Wait, on to be a great Ghostbusters director. Ghostbusters afterlife director? Man. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and also did Thank You for Smoking and Juno and Up in the Air and Young Adult, which is fantastic, and Ghostbusters yeah. Afterlife, yeah. Um, and the other thing, like, this even happened with, with the 2016 movie that I did not like. It, just when you hear the Ghostbusters song and that, like, like, just, I always get goosebumps. Like, there's always something cool happening, and it's great. Like, that logo pops up, and just that song does something. But it's a very defining beat yeah it's it's just the one of the perfect theme songs yes um, and but here's one thing i love about the scare in the beginning when the stroller is going moving through the streets is that people are honking at it <laughs> i just noticed that this time <laughs> yeah like hey what's the matter with you get out of the way baby yeah. learn to drive <laughs> <laughs> and the baby's like i don't know what any of this shit does <laughs> um I'm and, not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> uh, but we, I like the world of the psychic too. With we get our first star of Seinfeld, Kevin Dunn, aka Joel Hornick from season one, episode four, male unbonding. One of Ted and myself, one of our least favorite episodes of the entire run of the show. But you kind of got to <laughs> give it a pass because it's season one. But uh, we meet him right off the bat. And here's something I never noticed. Like, I can't tell you the last time I actually sat down and watched this movie front to back. It's just like with Christmas Vacation. Every Halloween, I probably catch it on Freeform once or twice, but out of order. Completely out of order. But when it's on, it's on. Um, And I never noticed that he's right about the world ending on New Year's Eve. Yeah, that's something that I, I think I remembered. But you, Ted, asked as we were watching... You were like, wait, how is this a New Year's movie? And I was like, didn't you listen to anything? <laughs> this guy just said the world is ending on New Year's Eve. Yeah, and, and then the climax of the movie takes place on New Year's Eve. But I never picked up that he's predicting the accurate end of the world. The only thing is the Ghostbusters get involved and stop it from happening. But, right. but he was right. I mean, Yeah. I want to see you his follow-up movie. Medal. Yeah. Uh, the other woman predicts February 14th, 2016. I've always loved Bill Murray's line here, Valentine's Day. Bummer. 
Yeah. <laughs> Hang on. I got to I got to look and see like any big things that happened in val- on Valentine's Day in 2016 cuz surely there had to be something bad in the news, right? The biggest thing that I could find was the Christchurch earthquake in New Zealand, which was a 5.7 and oh, caused yeah. pretty big damage down there, but that's that's the worst thing I could find about uh Valentine's Day of of 2016. Hmm. Well, I know Oh, Deadpool came out on that day. In 2016, really? Was it? Did it come out that day? It was 2016. I know wow. that's the movie we went and saw in the theaters on Valentine's Day that year. Um, tradition that we have. But mm-hmm. did it come out? Um, February 12th, 2016. Okay. Dang. Okay. Oh, there's a good celebrity ensemble movie called Mother's Day with Kate Hudson, Jason Sudeikis, Julia Roberts, Jennifer Aniston, and Timothy Oliphant. And that came out on February 14th, 2016? No, it came out oh. on April 29th. Oh. I, I don't I don't know why it's like it's in the Google category. <laughs> Movies 2016 Valentine's oh. Day. And then the movie named maybe, Mother's Day. Maybe it Oh wait, I was going to say maybe it takes place on Valentine's Day. No, Mother's <laughs> Day, duh. There is a movie called Valentine's Day, but I don't think it came out in 2016. No. <laughs> With Taylor Swift, one of her uh few acting roles. That's right. And they were going to try to make that happen. Yeah. I will say um the woman who's talking about Valentine's Day 2016 being the end of the world, she always sounds like Jennifer Tilly to me, yeah. who is the bride of Chucky. Yeah. And I know it's not her, but I always make that connection in my head every time we watch this. Yeah, she's got that little mousy voice. Yeah. Um, we're introduced to Peter McNichol pretty early in the movie. And I know that, it, like, Peter McNichol is... Like he's always great. Also in um, Adam's Family Values, another movie we did over Halloween on our Patreon. Uh, but Peter McNichol is, from what I read, like everyone, even if critics hated the movie, they loved Peter McNichol. Just across the board, he got high marks for this role, and I got to agree. Like he steals every scene he's in. Just he's absolutely hilarious. Yeah, he's got so many great little one-liners. Like you know, when when the painting tells him like now is the season of evil, and he goes evil like even that is just like hilarious and the <laughs> right and the other one is um Janusz where are you from upper west side I, right that's so funny like yeah <laughs> and and then uh, the other one I have to mention that I, that I wrote down is when the blackout happens and he goes over to Dana's and he's like is it the the, the babe baby 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 in there and he goes yeah, and he goes woo and she goes, no, he's sleeping. He's like, oh, but I would. <laughs> right. Jeez. And I want I want to know, like, how many of his lines were scripted or yes. if he just, like, did that. Because I feel like he just, off the top of his head, added all of those. So I found out that uh, Janusz is, was originally called Jason, <laughs> interestingly enough. <laughs> um, and doesn't uh, doesn't uh, Bill Murray call him Jason at one point, too? I know he calls him Johnny. Jason was Johnny, the that's good. what I'm yeah. thinking of. And, th- okay. and that might actually be in the part that I was talking about. I think he said, Johnny, where are you from? Or something like that. Um, but but m- when Peter McNichol read the role, he was like, well, this could be played by anybody. So he gave Janusz a backstory in which he is Carpathian, which I think is brilliant. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah like, that makes sense. He's got like Carpathian ancestry. And so in the script... Janusz is not described as having an accent, but McNichol went in his, in his audition. Um, he, he pulled from his Czechoslovakian friend and from observations at a Romanian tourist agency and just pulled this accent out at the audition and it paid off. Huh. And, and Ivan Reitman <laughs> loved it and let him do it in the movie. And that's why we have it. Yeah, which... I'm sure it was like difficult for Sigourney Weaver to like not break. Yeah. 
for a lot of those one-liners. <laughs> yeah, he's just completely awesome. Um, and so we're also introduced at this point to what the ghost, what a lot of the Ghostbusters are up to, the ones that are not, um, or one of the ones that is, is not part of the birthday parties. Uh, Ray is also running an occult bookstore, which I noticed is right next to St. Mark's Deli at 31 St. Mark's Place. And so now we have another Seinfeld connection, kind of a location connection. Um, St. Mark's Place is where Elaine's poor boyfriend lived. In, he lived in the same area in the Strong Box, <laughs> season nine, oh episode my God. 14. Yeah. Um, so now uh, Ray's a cult. It's either e-smoke and beer or an Asian restaurant. I couldn't tell on Street View. Um, but if you go to Ray's a cult now, that's that's what's going to be there. Okay. Yeah. They did make um, Ray's a cult part of Ghostbusters Afterlife. Ah, I like so it. So it's still around. In in universe. In universe. It reminded... Oh, so maybe he took it back from E. Maybe he just runs E's... What? E-smoke and beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just the occult section diminished. Um, it reminds me of the occult store in The Craft. They're, ver- they're very similar. I guess, all you know, there's only so much, you know so different than an occult store can one right. can be from another um but uh, I, I i realize i'm like fast forward and jumping through a lot so if we skip a scene that anybody wants to talk about again don't, yeah don't worry we're already at like 50 minutes and we're just like getting into the movie <laughs> yeah yeah um well in in dana's apartment after the you know when she gets when you know so bill, bill murray um tortures uh, Dan Aykroyd to reveal that they're helping out Dana Barrett, who he hasn't seen. You know, we learn a little bit more about their relationship. In Dana's apartment, we meet another star of Seinfeld, Yvette Cruz, who played Clerk in season six, episode 21. Uh, I didn't even write down what episode that is. I should have. Uh, wait. No, I didn't. Um, Here, let me... I, I'm, I'm on the collaborations page right now. Let okay. me see if I can find it real quick. Season um, six, episode... Uh, I found it. Okay, you don't got to touch my screen. Sorry. <laughs> uh, the Fusilli Jerry. There you go, the Fusilli Jerry. So, I don't know. I don't remember any clerk in that, but she's a clerk in that. And she is Dana's <laughs> housekeeper who is feeding Oscar when uh, the guys come to investigate. And one thing that's always bugged me about this movie, maybe it's only flaw, is that you know when they're examining the baby, it's very funny because they're very scientific about it, even though it's a baby. That's a funny gag. But they go... Um, like they talk about some response and they tickle him into the armpits and they go, seems ticklish, might be ticklish. Oscar has no reaction to them doing that. That's always pissed me <laughs> off that as these great scientists, they didn't realize he's not ticklish. He had no response to that. He didn't even move his arm. So that that's always made me very upset <laughs> and uh, right. yeah, unwatchable. <laughs> Inaccurate. Yeah. Made the entire movie <laughs> unwatchable. Um, when man, I am like I, I really didn't take many notes on this scene by scene because the next thing I have is them digging. I think it does come pretty quickly after they realize, you know, they have uh they have to go out to where the stroller stopped and they find something underneath the ground and so they start digging, and that's where we meet another star of Seinfeld and the star of a clip art fever dream I have, Dave Florek, <laughs> who <laughs> who is um the cop in this scene who's asking them why they're digging, and also Kramer's boss, uh, Harry, in The Strike, Season 9, Episode 10. Okay, so you got to tell us about this clip art fever dream, apparently. Yeah, well, well I, I explained it to you when Dave Florek popped up, but I, I just remember being in high school, and there being 
Microsoft Word clip art of a truck driver that looks exactly like Dave Florek. And so I've <laughs> never been able to find it again. And it's probably on like Word 97 or Microsoft Works or something crazy like that. Uh, and so I'm sure it's been erased from history, but maybe I should uh, maybe I should Google. Someone has to have been keeping track of Microsoft Word clip art through the years. There's got to be a virtual library of clip art somewhere. But it, there's this piece of clip art that looks exactly when I see it, I will know. But I haven't seen it in over 20 years. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I made it up. It's possible. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of coming from a design or having a design background. There's clip art for literally anything and everything yeah. these days. Even Dave Florek. Oh, man, I'm, I'm writing a great <laughs> article about Dave Florek. If only there was, hey, that looks exactly like There it him. is. <laughs> Dave Florek clip art. Um, maybe, you know, a lot of people do like commercial, like stock photo work in their early years. Maybe he did clip art work. Right, to make, that's to right. To make ends meet. <laughs> um, so... The other thing I that I questioned that is never really answered in this movie this time, watching it through this lens, is why does Vigo want to be a baby? Wouldn't he save a little bit of time? Like, a baby is the I most think, vulnerable thing on Earth. I think this is what just my brain made up for this scenario. Yeah. Is that if he comes back as a baby, he'll have more time to rule. Where, like, if he comes back as, like, a 50-year-old, he... It's already like half a lifetime that he's not going to have to conquer the earth. But yeah. if he's a baby, I mean, he can't really communicate that he's trying to rule the universe. Yeah, yeah. How is he going to let people know what his orders are right. as a baby? Um, unless he can communicate, you know, telepathically through Janusz somehow. Or something? Yeah, through Yeah, through Janusz. Maybe he could talk to the baby or something. Um, there's probably a great... You know what What the um, the, the number two movie that came out this year... Would have been a great Ghostbusters three or like a a, a, um, a Vigo spinoff movie. Look who's talking. Look who's ah. talking. Also came out this year and and made a ton <laughs> of money. Um, so uh, yeah, that would be a great like Janusz and Vigo as a baby, and the only people that you know, the only person that you can talk to is Janusz. I mean, it's just it writes itself. Right. Um, I think that's the movie that we deserve. But yeah, I've, I've, I've always wondered how he was going to do that. Or maybe, yeah, maybe just everyone's going to fall in line once the prophecy comes true and there's a baby on the throne. And yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I can't, but also, you know, say Janusz and Dana did get together to raise Vigo. Couldn't they raise a good Vigo? You know, is it like this is a nature versus nurture thing, but. Right. Yeah. I, think I mean, I guess go. it would come down to like their intentions where. I feel like Dana would be all for that, but Janusz would not. Yeah, yeah. It's funny <laughs> at the end when he is talking about the benefits of being in the inner circle of a living god. He's like, we'll get a great apartment, free parking. <laughs> Things that are important to a New Yorker. <laughs> right. <laughs> like Dana already lives in an amazing apartment. Yeah, and for restoring paintings at a museum, I don't expect that pays as... Yeah for how nice of an apartment she has or even a cellist in an orchestra yeah not, yeah not only not only like restoring paintings in a museum but she's leaving that job to go try and get back into the orchestra yeah and, and i realize like you know an orchestra in new york city in the first movie she's coming out of the met i think and so like the, she's got to be pretty good but i don't know even like what does that pay you know right i guess it pays yeah, pretty well like to have a housekeeper live with yeah five other people yeah <laughs> yeah you live with the, all the other cellists yeah um i've i love um 
I'm so glad they brought Lewis Tully back for Ghostbusters 2 because Rick Moranis is just absolutely just another character that I think got a lot of high praise for this for coming back. And he was so good, as we already talked about, they added him to the cartoon. But the courtroom scene, the courtroom montage is absolutely hilarious. And my favorite line, I think, in the whole segment is when the uh, prosecutor for the state go, you know, objects or something like that. He's like, give me a break. We're both lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> Like that whole time that he's, I guess, uh, has um, Venkman on the stand, oh and God, he's like, "Huh, yeah. what?" Venkman's <laughs> just giving him all of the answers, and it's very clear. Yeah, yeah, he's he's leading the lawyer, and then they object because he's leading the witness, and I think that's when he says, "Give me a break." <laughs> We're both lawyers, yeah. <laughs> but in that scene and through this whole movie, I think the effects are incredible, especially when you think about 1989. Like yeah. everything looks great. Yeah. Yeah. Like, are you talking about like, um, what are the names of the ghosts that pop out in the courthouse? The Scolari oh, yeah, brothers. There you go. Yeah. 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 That that actually looked pretty pretty good by '89 standards. Yeah. Everything from like all all the rivers of slime and the Vigo painting and everything. Yeah. I'm like the the whole climax of the movie with all the ghosts coming back. I'm like. These effects have aged very well. Like you can, you know, if you really want to stare at it, you can you can see some green screen in use or some, um, you know, mats or whatever. But it it just it just looks amazing. Um, except one, except for one thing. And in addition to the Christmas sled being pulled in Christmas Vacation, this is another one of the most egregious left-in movie mistakes. I feel like um, the toaster dancing. And you can clearly see the little servos popping in and out and making it bounce around. Did you, did you know? Were you able to catch that in standard def? No, I didn't. No. I didn't see that. <laughs> it's just one of the things I've always noticed about this movie. And again, it's it's you know only the second flaw we've come across. Uh, in addition to Oscar not being ticklish, but it's I've always noticed that you know they they kind of pop in and out very quick. But it's 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 just very obvious that you know there was nothing they could do to to erase them. Right. Um, you know, speaking of which, um, this song, this movie really began my love affair with Jackie Wilson's Higher and Higher, and the whole soundtrack is really great, I think. You know, we talked about the Bobby Brown song already, but we get this Run DMC montage of their version of Ghostbusters. Yeah. And Which, yeah. we were both saying how the original, like, nothing can top the original Ghostbusters song. Yeah. Um, just because it is what it is it's so great but this was definitely a close second yeah it was it was a great follow-up on our own and and it and it is the it is towards the end of this great trend uh because adam's family values had another song by mc hammer that did this but explaining the plot of a movie in a hip-hop song <laughs> and then putting that song in the movie you know because bobby brown does go he's like and vigo came around and the boys were like what it's, it's really just it's, <laughs> it's so great and it's such a lost art i think i think wild wild west might have been the last time that anybody attempted this um but hip-hop a hip-hop song explaining the plot of the movie being in the movie is just Possibly such a lost art in the new spider-man Ooh. the song that plays during the credits who, who does least, it i don't know but it's called I'm not going to say because spoilers or here I'll preface it with spoilers. Well, I I haven't seen it. So you want me to take my, you're only telling me Ted already knows. So don't, okay. Just don't say anything. I guess. Okay. I'm (laughs) not going to say anything. Don't say anything. But if you know, you know. 
Okay. You know, all right. Well, I'll look it up afterwards. And does it does it explain the plot of the movie? Um, I don't know if it necessarily explains the plot, but the premise is like the first line in the title of the song. Uh. So it kind it's it explains the plot without really explaining the Peter plot. Peter was so exposed sort of... by Jameson, so he went to Doctor Strange and said, "What's the deal?" <laughs> Does it go like that? <laughs> no, but it is catchy, and it gets stuck in my head a lot. Maybe that can be my thing on TikTok: writing hip hop songs for movies that don't need them whatsoever. Like I'll do like Goodwill Hunting and, or like Titanic. And like, just make a hip, make an '80s hip hop song that explains the plot of those movies, like it was, like it was an end credit feature. Yeah, you'll go viral for sure. Yes, um, I do want to mention, as long as we're talking about the soundtrack, that single on our own, that was a huge success. If the if the um, studio didn't consider the movie a success, on our own spent 20 weeks on the charts. Oh wow! And. They so it was all kind of worked out with Bobby Brown's record label, which I think was MCA. They were like, "Hey, will you get if you get Bobby Brown to do a song, we will put out the soundtrack on MCA." And Bobby Brown only agreed to do the song in exchange for that role in the film, where he plays the mayor's doorman. Yeah, and <laughs> he's great. like, "Oh, yeah. my, my kid brother, or my nephew, or whoever really wants a proton pack." Yeah, and yeah. Egon is like, "They're not a toy, son." Yeah, I, I thought he did great. You know, that, yeah. that could have taken you out of the movie, but, you know, I didn't even know. And I noticed he was he was in the credits as Bobby Bransford Brown or something like that. Um, <laughs> maybe that was going to be his acting name. Uh, and the, yeah. it was just Bobby Brown, not Boys to Men. You mean New Edition? New Edition, sorry. New Edition See, does this have... This is my, <laughs> my youngness, sure. <laughs> I, think, I think it's just Bobby Brown. New Edition does have a song on the soundtrack... But on our own is just Bobby Brown. Yeah, Supernatural by New Edition is on the soundtrack okay. too, though. Yeah, um, Bobby Brown also has a song called "We're Back" on the soundtrack, um, and the whole thing's available to stream on Spotify, except "Love Is a Cannibal" by Elton John. And now I want to hear that. Wow. Yeah, I didn't even notice an Elton John song in the movie. Um, but the music video for On Our Own features cameos by Iman, who was married to David Bowie probably at the time, Jane Curtin, Dougie Fresh, who also was featured on the soundtrack, Christopher Reeve, Malcolm Forbes, Rick Moranis, Marky and Joey Ramone, and Donald Trump. The, okay, Ooh. hang on. They got <laughs> Donald Trump, the Ramones, and fucking Superman in this? Yes, yeah. All right. I know. I, I have to go check out that music video. I did not have time before we uh, recorded to go do that. Um, I also found out since we've probably seen it all. Yeah, we've seen it already already this time. The the pink slime is um, methocell, a vegetable-based gel. And they added food coloring to it. And they looked at all sorts of different colors. Green to match Slimer. They looked at blue, but Reitman uh, settled on pink. And... It required approximately 100,000 gallons of slime to film the movie, and four cement mixers were kept on site to mix fresh batches daily because it deteriorated so quickly. And when you see I it, yeah. always wanted to eat it. Yeah, I it asked does look Ted good. before we started recording, did you ever have that thought? And I, Ted has, Ted hadn't seen any of the Ghostbusters movies until we got together in 2014, so... I'm the one that introduced him yeah. to these movies, but I always wanted to take a big spoonful of that slime and eat it. I Even at the why. end, they say it looks like a big jello mold. 
Yeah, or t- to me, the um, pink medicine that you got when you yeah, were sick. Yeah, that's exactly the kid. same color. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And that was delicious. It was. So when they when it's the river of slime, they added mica dust and mineral oil to add depth to the river, river and the oil created those weird like shapes on the surface because I guess it didn't mix <laughs> with the gel. So Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you want to make it, just get some methocell and uh, some oil. And, and you can eat it. You can finally make it yourself and eat yeah. it. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, let me see. Oh, I did love the detail. I, again, I'd never noticed it before, but watching it kind of analytically like this, I liked the detail of the slime guns from the end of the movie being featured like they're on a pool table. They're messing with one later on in the movie. Before we actually see them being used, I never saw them before in the earlier scenes in the movie, but they're there. And I thought that was a really cool detail. Oh, I didn't catch that. I've always, another great Bill Murray bit that I've always loved from this movie is, and I've probably stolen it a couple times having kids because I can't help but think of it any time I have to say, all right, I'm going to put Declan down and and going, you're short, you're a terrible burden on your mother. And that, <laughs> I just think that's such a funny yeah. switcheroo. <laughs> yeah. Do you mind if I, I like, all right, I'm going to put him down. Do you mind? He's like, oh, sure. Like, you're short. You smell bad. I, I just, that's so funny. You're a horrible burden on your <laughs> yeah. poor mother. Yeah. <laughs> and here, here's a good point about this being, because I've always sort of had the caveat for this, like, when I've talked about it being the only comedy sequel that's as good or maybe better than the original is like, is it comedy or sci-fi? And watching it this time, I'm like, there are huge swaths of this movie that are not sci-fi. In fact, they had to do, they did reshoots because they were like, there's not enough of the ghost busting in this movie. There's a lot like this scene, the scene where, you know, I'm going to put him down where Peter brings stuff from Dana's apartment. They're talking about the varying levels of clean and dirty, like relationship stuff. Let's go on a date. Um, I love the line where she's like, all right, but after dinner, don't try any of those old cheap moves. You're like, no, no, I've got all new cheap moves. Um, Like that's, that has nothing to do with ghosts the whole time. It's like 10 minutes. Yeah, I also love the line. I think it's either, I think it might be a few scenes later where he comes back to his apartment and he goes, oh no, thinking that she's gone because she's in the shower and she cleaned. Yeah, Yeah, there's the, and he's like, oh, I have, I have varying levels. It's not just clean and dirty. Uh, Right. Yeah, that's like, that, that really doesn't belong in, and there's even the move, the, um, the dinner date later on is another long thing where they talk about their relationship and I'm like, how did I never notice that this is like a romantic comedy in addition to a paranormal comedy, you know? Yeah. Uh, it just, you know, it just melds so well and flows so well into, into everything. And, and even in that dinner scene when they're, you know, it's not about the ghosts, all of a sudden those guys run in and they're covered in that slime and they make a scene in the thing and get arrested. Like it, <laughs> yeah. it just, there's no cut. It, it, it just the movies crash into each other the romantic comedy and the paranormal comedy is just great um i think we also need to talk about like when they're analyzing the slime with the toaster yeah and finding out that it responds to negative and positive emotions and uh bill murray like jokingly is like you're not sleeping with it are you (sighs) and then like he gives that (laughs) look like where he's barely sleeping or like very clearly doing weird stuff to the slime yeah well i think he looks he looks at egon and egon sort of looks down and looks away in shame so i think it's egon that has been experimenting romantically with the slime yeah (laughs) and if they're if they're experimenting on like being mean to it is egon dominating the slime (laughs) 
I think you oh. have to try all sort. You have to, you know, try all sorts of kinks to see what <laughs> slime responds to. Egon's uh, pulling the slime out and giving it a little slap, like you're a bad little slime. <laughs> because yeah, they're they're experimenting with the negative, <laughs> negatively charging it and positively charging it. You know, right? So. I, I think that yeah, I think both ways. They probably went both ways. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> uh, one thing I have to point out about one of these scenes is Janine does something when she's closing up the shop that brought me back to the late eighties. She puts a dust cover over her desktop monitor. Yeah. I was oh gonna my bring that up gosh, too. <laughs> wow. Yeah, wow. like imagine still doing that today with all of your technological devices, just dust covers for everything. <sighs> yeah, we had a dust cover for the printer, a dust cover for the monitor. My grandma had over, one yeah. for the toaster. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I guess yeah, they thought dust was like just going to be a huge problem. So yeah, you had to put had to put the dust cover on the monitor when you were done with yeah. the computer. I also love the like uh, the TV commercials that they film yeah. to advertise that they're back <laughs> with. Her and oh, Rick Moranis, the who are you going to call? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and even the Ghostbusters aren't those great actors. Like, and that's and the special price isn't all. Oh, you mean the thermal mug and balloons for kids? <laughs> limit to one family. Yeah, limit one per family. <laughs> I, I like how like if you're advertising a balloon giveaway, why would you want to blow it up and show it inflated? Yeah. No, it's just like a loose, like dang, <laughs> dangly, uninflated balloon. A flaccid balloon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that I, I There was a radio show. One of, my radio, one of my radio idols, Don and Mike, or two of my radio idols, I guess, they used to have a great sweeper that I've always wanted to steal. Maybe I'll get a chance one day. Is... Um, they would give out their phone number and they'd say, we're ready to believe you, which is more from the first one. But yeah, um, I think the, I think it's on like a bumper sticker this time, but I've always loved that reference. That's not quite, <laughs> you know, like call blah, 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 eight, one, eight hundred, blah, blah, blah. We're yeah. ready to believe you. I, I've um, always and loved that. They, in the Ghostbusters afterlife, um, they um, kind of use those same ads um, as the main character is kind of trying to learn more about her grandfather, she goes to YouTube. Oh, yeah, that's in the starts, preview. Yeah, she's like watching the commercials on YouTube, which I think is a cool way to kind of modernize it as like, ooh, retro commercials. Yes. Uh, so there's, there's a fire in the room when they're developing the pictures, and... One thing that I noticed, what, what side of the door was the lock on in that fire scene? Because they can't get out, but Winston then uses the um, the fire extinguisher to break through the door. So the lock maybe wasn't on his his side either. Like, right. why <laughs> Why was that necessary? Now you got to buy a new door. I guess and it was action-packed. A new fire extinguisher. Yeah, because he used the other one all out of charge. Um, although that was warranted. But breaking through the door, come on. Right. What side was the lock on? Maybe Vigo made the lock disappear somehow. Yeah. It was a, it was a magic lock. A wizard did it. <laughs> <laughs> a Carpathian wizard did it. <laughs> when when the, the, the wrath of Vigo starts taking over the city, I, I noticed um, there's a theater that everybody runs out of and even a ghost comes out of. But they when they pan down, you can see that the movie is called Cannibal Girls and it stars Eugene Levy. Huh. And it's a real okay. movie. 
it was actually Ivan Reitman's first, it was Ivan Reitman's directorial debut and it has Eugene (laughs) Levy and it's like a grindhouse comedy from 1973. Yeah. And actually Eugene Levy was cast as Lewis's cousin Sherman, who was an employee at the psychiatric ward where the Ghostbusters were imprisoned and was instrumental in getting them out. But then his scenes were cut out of the movie. So I don't know if that was kind of a, yeah, kind of a tribute to his buddy or, or whatever. But yeah, the, it, it seemed like they just kind of were able to skip over that, getting them out. And the mayor's like, get the Ghostbusters out. And we didn't yeah. really need Sherman to be involved. But I would have liked to have seen that. I also like in that scene, um, the woman in the fur coat that's running out of the theater. The and mink. then, yeah, yeah, the her whatever weasels, ferrets, yeah. whatever mink coats are made out of starts running away down the street. That's another great like that's. That looks so good still when they come out and they're like, yeah. like their faces and them running down the street. I didn't see a cord. I don't know how they did that. Yeah. <laughs> it, they actually made it come to life. Yes. You know? It's a lot. They, they, they sewed three ferrets together, <laughs> six ferrets Living together, whatever ferrets. it is. Yeah. And then they just sent them on their way and they're still running around Central Park to this yeah, day. Yeah. PETA was all over them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is another like just amazing effect that they did another great practical effect did you notice i feel like this is uh, um prophetic in the same way uh that maybe that woman predicted the christchurch earthquake the ghostbusters phone number is 555-2020 oh no yeah i know (laughs) what did ivan reitman know and when did he know it yeah in uh i just uh, that's just just super weird um yeah very weird very strange another thing like the dust cover that brought me back to the late 80s was the fact that they control the statue of liberty with a nintendo entertainment system joystick the i think it was called the advantage and and a walkman (laughs) um the but the advantage was you know a a controller that did not come with the original system but it had like that big joystick and it had turbo so you could turn turbo on and if there was like a fighting game or whatever you could just hold down a and it would it would be like you're pressing a at an incredibly fast (laughs) speed and so it was kind of cheating you know like if your friend used it on street fighter or whatever you know you well street fighter was for uh super nintendo if they used it for um you know a, a game where that would be advantageous it was great for stuff like contra because you just constantly auto fire but you know i don't remember this control at all yeah the turbo buttons game changer um, how do you think it worked? How do you think it controlled the Statue of Liberty? I don't know. Yeah. I know, like, the, they covered her in slime. Yep, the, the positively charged, slime. yeah. And then played so, a remake of Higher and Higher, I think. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I'm just assuming, like, it was just enough slime. And the speakers on a Walkman are definitely not that loud. So I don't think <laughs> yeah. that it wasn't loud enough to, like... But they're Wake. hooking they're hooking him up to those big PAs. You know, he's got that big like um I don't know if you were oh, at a, yeah, if you were at a field or something, it's got yeah. one of those sort of bullhorn speakers. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's like a, a zombie type thing where like they're reanimating her statuous corpse. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> My theory is and it doesn't hold up because the statue does other things besides walk, but it definitely walks the direction they want it to go. And then it knows that it has to go to the museum and it knows it has to break through the, like there's what, what did the a button do that? <laughs> did you have turbo on right. and it just knew, but so, maybe there was like a cheat code. that they yeah, knew. <laughs> Exactly. He used the Konami code on the statue of Liberty <laughs> and broke right through. Um, but my theory is that it redirected the stereo broadcast that they were, you know, or, it redirected the stereo to so if you wanted the left leg to move 
you'd pull the joystick left and hmm. the, the right speaker would cut out. So only the left speaker, only the left leg slime would be activated. And it, when you wanted to move the other leg, you would <laughs> do it the other way and the left speaker would cut out and stop the, the slime from being activated and the right foot would activate and all the slime in there. So it doesn't hold up because of all the stuff I mentioned, but that's as near as I could tell. It's never explained why they need that controller and it is hooked up to, you know, it's modified. It's a modified yeah. Nintendo controller. <laughs> I do like the scene, like, when all the chaos is starting um, and, like, the police station, there's, like, okay, hold on. You said what? And yeah. then the guy's, like, you got to get down to the harbor. The Titanic just arrived. Yeah. And it's Cheech from Cheech and Chong <laughs> and some other guy just, like, watching all of these drowned Titanic ghosts landing in New York, finally. <laughs> yeah. Why couldn't they get Chong? I mean, you might as well. If, right, yeah. I, I think that know. would have been great. He Maybe it was too busy. distracting. Yeah, they're like, well, we don't right. want we don't want both. I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> we're not that kind of movie. But yeah, that, that was a funny gag, the Titanic, you know, and Better Late Than Never is hilarious. Yeah. A funny button on it. Did you notice the... Um, the Statue of Liberty walks right by Trump Tower. Just another mention. Just, well, you know, oh, I was have to bring no. it up anytime. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it cut it out in standard def. Oh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in the final showdown with Vigo, um, you know, it's 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 very exciting. But one of the things that always made me laugh was, and one of the again, like kind of a misstep. I don't know what they could have done to made it better, but the Vigo demon. Um, like potato face mask that they put on the actor and put on Dan Aykroyd as Ray. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just looks like a potato with like red toothpicks in it. Right. <laughs> um, I do love, and this is another thing that I like quote all the time and the Vigi, Vigi, Vigi. <sighs> and I say that all the time. That and from the first movie, the okay, so she's a dog is something like my family always said growing up, <laughs> like even before I had ever seen Ghostbusters. So those two, the Vigi, Vigi, Vigi. You have been a bad monkey. Yeah. <laughs> One of the, uh, it's, it's in the same scene. One thing I've always liked is tasty pick, bonehead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, so the reason Ray gets turned into the potato face of Ego is a cut subplot in which that very earlier scene where they see the Vigo painting for the first time and he's staring at it, he gets possessed by Vigo. And Yeah, for like a half a second. Yeah, but there was going to be a much longer subplot where he actually, you know, is possessed by him later on like um so he's like erratically driving the ectomobile and takes them on. That's why in that montage, some of the footage was repurposed into the montage. But, um, you know, he 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 drives he drives erratically, and Egon and um, Peter are in the back seat, and they're like freaking out. But they kind of just cut that whole thing until he's uh, unpossessed. Yeah, um, he's freed I, of Vigo's control by Winston. I just remember that that happened, and nothing came of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is. It so it was kind of cut, but it but it does explain, I guess, why he's kind of able to be possessed at the end too, because he was already he already had that interaction. And I guess they didn't See, need to explain it anymore with that sub subplot. Yeah, I always kind of thought it was because of his work with the occult that he was more susceptible to being uh, possessed by yeah. a ancient uh, Carpathian warlord. Probably part of it. Yeah. I noticed that when 
and I had to rewind to make sure I saw this correctly. And here's another weird thing about the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> when the shell is broken and they, they show an exterior of that and, and the shell is being pulled up into the um, atmosphere or whatever. Um, yeah. The Statue of Liberty is just lying in the street face down. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, and like nobody around is like, uh. <laughs> yeah, like why isn't it still just standing there with its head above the thing where they they repelled down from? Like, right. why, <laughs> why? Why did it did it fall and cause like a huge crater? It's just uh, the it was the weirdest shot. I was like, why couldn't it still be standing there? Maybe it would have um, interfered with the way the slime. Maybe they needed it out of the way in order to pull off the effect of the slime oh, being pulled away yeah. or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> But but I also love the end of the movie. It's just, it it wraps everything up so great. But when Janusz and Ray have the "I love you," hey, you know what? I love you. And Janusz is like, "You, I love you too." Like I just love yeah. that exchange. It's so <laughs> just so sincere on both of their accounts. And my one of my favorite parts of the movie is the very end where Rick Moranis thinks that he single handedly saved yes. New York and yeah. everybody and he's like I did it I'm a ghostbuster and the whole crowd is cheering so that was supposedly another cut subplot where Lewis Damn. Tully was going to be uh, trying to like prove himself to the ghostbusters and he was going to catch Slimer because Slimer was hanging around the HQ but they only kept that one scene where he catches him eating everything yeah, but there was going to okay. be a whole subplot with him trying to catch Slimer and that's how he's going to prove himself to the Ghostbusters I agree that they didn't really need it it's kind of much better at the end you know we didn't need the the stakes of built right. you know we didn't need to be built up the whole time it was great at the end when he was just like I did it I'm a Ghostbuster and everyone agrees even though he had nothing to do with it right damn was this movie originally like two hours and 20 minutes long there's a lot of there's a lot of cut subplots uh yeah including the fairy ring in Scotland the Scotland fairy <laughs> ring <laughs> um I think that's pretty much all I have for for the run of the movie um I do have some other notes uh, unless anyone else has anything else from the actual feature itself. Uh, I don't. Do you? Is there anything else in the, I'm the full movie? I'm trying to think. Um, oh, the the plot line of um, Jeannie, the secretary, and Rick Moranis just being unnecessarily horny oh while God. watching yeah. that baby. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, like, and going back at it right away as soon as right, Dana's out of yeah. the room. She's like, well... <laughs> Back to the whole grind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, you know, she's going to come out of that room in like a second. And that room is all windows. Yes. Like she can see you. <laughs> yeah, just just messed up. Um, so Max von Sydow, uh, famous, the very famous actor from The Exorcist and, and other stuff, uh, he provided the voice of Vigo, but he was not the actor. Wilhelm von Homburg is the... Um, the actor who played Vigo, but his lines were overdubbed by Max von Sydow, who did his recordings in just one day. And Wilhelm von Homburg reportedly only learned his voice had been dubbed at the premiere. Oh, oh that no. sucks. I know, and he stormed out. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> no. I, I would too, honestly. That sucks. Yeah, that really blows. And as someone who found out at the premiere that you were cut out of a movie... Um, uh, yeah, I can say that 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 blows and yeah and uh, uh, yeah because you tell all your family and friends that you're going to be in this movie and then or your entire radio audience that you're going to be in this movie and uh, and then you're not. Um, <laughs> it 
yeah, I, I can imagine. And it reminds me of, oh, David Prowse, the guy who played Darth Vader. He didn't realize James Earl Jones was going to do the voice. Like, he did all the dialogue and did the stuff with the actors and, like, yeah. put in the work. And then he found out, I think, at the premiere, like, what the hell? Tim, this- Tim have, have you explained that story for people on our Patreon? I don't because because Gra- Grace just looked at me and she's like, "Wait, what?" And I I kind of gave her a nod and was like, "Oh yeah, Tim, that happened to Tim." I don't I don't know I I know I talked about it, but it was cut out of the uh, Santa with Muscles episode. But I was supposed to be in the movie The Help um, when I was in Jackson, Mississippi. That's where they filmed it with Emma. Oh Emma wow! Stone. Yeah, and like so we got Emma Stone on the phone. We were tweeting at her and we got her to yeah. call us and we talked to the director and. And we were like, put us in the movie. And we like, we had these, we were printing out scripts and auditioning. Like we did Brokeback Mountain and stuff like that. Um, and Emma Stone was like, all right, I'll tell him to put you in the movie. So he, so the director called us back and we went down that day for wardrobe and they cut our hair and styled it. And, and we sat wow. around for like eight hours to be in this scene. But, but we were going to be, it's a, the, it's in the diner scene. And, and the director was like, oh yeah, it's, you guys are going to be right behind Emma Stone. And so in this scene, and so we go to the premiere they had a premiere in Jackson, Mississippi, and we got to interview, you know, who's in that movie that, um, who's the woman, not Jessica Chastain. Um, Bryce Dallas Howard. I don't know if she showed up. I don't think she showed up, but Viola Davis was there. We talked to Emma Stone. We talked to Allison Janney. We talked to, um, I can't remember. She was in that movie. Octavia um, Spencer. We talked to her. Um, and then and then we when we talked to the director, um, he was like, you know, I think you guys were cut out. And we were like, ah, good one. <laughs> and um, I'm thinking of Jessica Chastain. It was Jessica Chastain. I thought she wasn't in The Help, but she is. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, the director was like, oh, you guys are cut out. And we we're like, very funny. And then the scene comes up and it ends. <laughs> and we're like speechless because all you see is our hands. So if you Google oh. on YouTube, look up Nate and Murphy's hands in The Help or something like that. <laughs> and you can see the part without having to watch all of the movie. But we were like just completely we can't believe and if i ever get a chance to talk to tate taylor again i i you know i need i need to talk to him again i hope he keeps directing but interestingly enough tate taylor came back to town to do the james brown documentary dan Aykroyd is in that movie and i got to interview and meet dan Aykroyd as well and he signed a bottle of uh his vodka the crystal head vodka for me oh wow yeah yeah, and I oh, and he signed. I didn't get my Ghostbusters record signed, but I did get my Blues Brothers record signed, and so that's hanging on the wall now. So he was a cool guy, and it was at that time that was one of the like I asked him about Ghostbusters three, of course, because he's Dan Aykroyd, and it was at yeah. that time that he was like, uh, yeah, we're uh, we're working on something, uh, you know, it's gonna be about passing the torch to the next generation, and so I guess maybe that was the the 2016 thing. I forget when Get Out was being filmed, but um. Yeah, I don't know if that was what he was working on, but he was he was sort of talking about working on uh, number three, just as he had been since 1989, since his movie came out. Um, yeah, so I I don't even know if I wore my Ghostbusters shirt. I think I threatened to, but I don't. I think I threw it out <laughs> because I didn't want to seem like too much of a fanboy. But there were people there to meet him. He was doing a bottle signing while he was in town. Um, he plays like James Brown's manager or something like that. And um, but there were people in full Ghostbusters getup there to meet him, oh, like yeah, the, I'm sure. the, the cosplayers. Yeah. Yeah, I the 2016 or the all female Ghostbusters. Yeah, we I think have only seen once, and I fell asleep, and we never decided I, to watch it again. I didn't mind it. I saw it opening night, and I I liked <laughs> it at the time because I remember that again. The opening is is a classic Ghostbusters opening, and the song is great, 
And it was pretty funny. But now when it's on and I, I, I watch it, I just cringe. I just can't. I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, maybe I just can't catch it in the middle. Maybe I have to see it from the beginning again. But yeah. Yeah, I definitely fell asleep pretty quickly in because it was, I think we watched it in college during like finals week or something. And I was so exhausted anyway. And then yeah. I don't think we've watched it since. It was one of those late movie nights at yeah. Aaron and Adams. Yeah, think, the downvoter, right? <laughs> as you guys know him. Um, so I'll start uh, this section with a huge downer, and then hopefully we'll come out of it. But I, I found this. Um, I wanted to know what happened to Oscar. Of course, like most movies, Oscar was played by twins just because of child mm. labor laws and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. You found this out? You guys already know this? We did, yeah. Yeah, so Henry Deutschendorf II is one of the twins that played Oscar. He... Uh, passed away June 14th, 2017 by suicide at the age of 29 after battling schizoaffective disorder. Yeah, which is an awful... Yeah, I did not expect to find that out. Yeah, yeah. Poor, poor guy didn't stand a chance with uh, with what was going on in his brain. Yeah, evidently Hank and William didn't pursue acting, but they did run a martial arts school together near San Diego, and their uncle was country singer John Denver. Holy oh, shit, wow. yeah. Yeah, I remember did the not know that. John Denver. I think I guess I guess Deutschendorf is John Denver's real last name. I seem to remember. I can see why he changed it. <laughs> yeah, that is. Yeah, yeah. Denver rolls off the tongue a little easier than John Henry John Deutschendorf Jr. Oh my gosh! So that's why. <laughs> is that why he's Henry J. Deutschendorf the second? Because Probably, yeah. John Denver was already Henry John Deutschendorf Jr. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. So I found that uh, to be. Uh, yeah, just very, very sad about one of the twins that played Oscar. Um, the film is scheduled to be released as part of the eight-disc Ghostbusters Ultimate Collection Blu-ray and Ultra HD Blu-ray box set in February of this year, alongside Ghostbusters and Afterlife and the 2016 reboot, which, by the way, wow. has been... was I don't know if you guys remember or knew this. Subsequently, it was renamed Ghostbusters Answer the Call. Yeah, which was weird because when it came out, it was just Ghostbusters. I it was it was just Ghostbusters, right? Yeah, you said? yeah. Okay, that's what I yeah, remember. Now, now it's just uh, it's all Ghostbusters. Answer the call, which I could have swore was like, did they make another video game for this? Maybe was it just like a a poorly made movie tie-in video game? They or... might have made like a mobile game uh, with the female uh, characters. I think you're right. It's it's I so awesome. Right. Yeah, Ghostbusters the video game was the one I was thinking of that came out on Wii and it's so awesome using the Wii remote to control a proton pack beam. You know, it just like <laughs> fulfilled so many childhood right. um aspirations. Yeah, that's the perfect uh controller to do something like that yeah. too. Yeah. Um and it's going to be presented in a the whole 8 disc set comes in a ghost trap shaped box. And they will have nice. unreleased deleted scenes from Ghostbusters 2 and an edited for TV version, including alternate scenes and takes. Ooh. So, I don't know. Maybe we'll, we'll have, have to, to keep re an eye out for revisit. That. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. And the reason why we got Afterlife, I guess, was because after Raimi's death, uh, Harold Ramis, sorry, Harold Ramis, I was mixing up with Sam Raimi, I guess. After <laughs> Harold Ramis died in 2014, Ivan Reitman chose to no longer serve as director for a potential third film. And he decided that the creative control shared by Harold Ramis, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, and himself was holding the franchise back. And so he negotiated a deal with the studio to sell the rights. He spent two weeks talking Murray into it. 
So Bill Murray was, again, the hard sell and even selling his rights to it. Um, Reitman refused to release details about the deal, but he said, the creators would be enriched for the rest of our lives and for the rest of our children's lives. <laughs> Sounds pretty amazing. Yeah. And I think um, with Ghostbusters Afterlife, the tone is very much... Um, like you can tell a lot of care went into the story and how they would like respectfully um, portray like um, Egon's legacy mm -hmm. and all of their legacies really. Well, yeah, when everyone agreed to be in it again, I mean, that's just a huge vote of confidence that fans like me would need. And so I am excited about it, but everyone also agreed to be in the 2016 one. And right. there was kind of lackluster. Yeah. Um, so I think we skipped over a lot of Seinfeld connections. So I'll just run through them here. Uh, Brian Doyle Murray, of course, <laughs> is the uh, psychiatric doctor. And he's also Bubble Boy's dad in season four, episode seven. And he's Bill Murray's brother. I think that's cool that they share yeah. a team together. And he's the boss from Christmas Vacation. Right. That they kidnap. Yes. That's why I, he's, I, he's definitely Bill Murray's tag along, much like um, James Gunn's brother. Yes. Or Clint Howard. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, um, we, uh, one of the things in that Twitter thread or back and forth was when are we just going to start Brian Doyle Murray cast? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Philip Baker Hall is the chief of police and he's also, of course, detective bookman, more law enforcement in the library season three, episode five, uh, Kevin Dunn, we already talked about Ben Stein plays a public works official in that same scene with Philip Baker Hall. Um, he's a public works official and Kramer's living will lawyer Shellbach in season eight, episode 13, uh, the comeback, I think I, uh, that's another one. I didn't write down the, uh, episode title to, uh, Glenn Fry as listed as a collaborator in both Seinfeld and Ghostbusters true, because he performs flip city on the Ghostbusters two soundtrack. And he is of course a composer with Don Henley of the Eagles of the song Desperado, which Elaine's <laughs> boyfriend loves in The Checks, Season 8, Episode 7. Ray Glansman is Detective Number 2 in Ghostbusters 2, and he's Protester Number 2 in The Limo, Season 3, <laughs> Episode 19. I hope he was background actor number one at some point in his career. I hate that he's always number two. <laughs> he's just always, like, the second most yeah. important background character. Come on. Uh, Doug Mathias was a gaffer on Ghostbusters 2 and a gaffer on 34 episodes of Seinfeld. Uh, Larry Elena was a sound recordist on Ghostbusters 2 and on 22 episodes of Seinfeld. And of course, we already mentioned Yvette Cruz and Dave Florek as well. Uh, and so that's, uh, let me see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Yeah, 10, Ghostb is, 10 Ghostbusters Seinfeld actors. Is this uh, the movie with the most Seinfeld connections that you guys have reviewed so far? I'm by pretty far. sure, yeah. Yeah, by far. I think the I most think is like most four. We've had, yeah. Okay. I, I, I was going to say like four or five. Yeah. But yeah, 10 beats it all. Wow. I don't even know what movie that would be, but it's it's always, yeah, it hasn't been this many. It was one of our, it was the final movie we did for Halloween month, whatever that was. Hmm. It had four. Um, wow. Well, you tell us, Tra fans, Tra Transylvania. Transylvania. Oh, Transylvania 65,000. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, because Donald Gibb uh, come, uh, turns up in that, and so, yeah, we were kind of surprised. I think that was before we found the collaboration tool, so we were relying heavily on, like, watching the credits and stuff. <laughs> yeah so uh, amazingly enough that that's all i have oh 
man. So, in your opinion, do you like Ghostbusters 2 better than Ghostbusters 1 or about the same? I would have to watch Ghostbusters 1 again I'm, because I'm going to say about the same. That's the way I've always felt yeah. that, that it's about the same. Yeah, I think I'm the same mind frame, but maybe Ghostbusters 2 a little bit more. I don't know. Just something about Lady Liberty and that pink slime, man. I can't believe critics would watch this and go, it's the same movie. It is. Yeah, it, it's really not. Yeah. I mean, I know there's a big bad, but that's just every movie. You know, you can't have a movie without a main villain. I, I, right. I can't believe this movie followed the same structure as every movie that you have to for modern cinema. Ugh. Yeah. It just, Literally uh... unwatchable. Just so I was so surprised to learn the critics did not just fall all over themselves going, this was what a great follow up. What a great legacy. Yeah, I think for like a comparison for my and Ted's era, um, Toy Story and Toy Story 2. Yeah. Um, I love Toy Story 2 more than I love the first Toy Story. And I mean, they're on what? Toy Story 4 now? Yeah. So I think it's kind of the same playing field as Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters too. Yeah, yeah. But man, like they had talking toys in the second one too. It was like, what? What? Yeah, same movie. <laughs> same movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, so where would you? How would you rate this on a scale from from one to ten? I'll let you go first. Hmm. I would probably give it a eight point five, or nice. maybe a nine. Okay. Um, I, I feel like I might have to go low with it just because I don't have that same level of nostalgia as either of you. Mm-hmm. And only having seen it a few years ago, I think a generous score for me would be a 7 out of 10. Hmm. Still pretty high. Yeah, I keep... That, that's, not, that's not bad. At least it's higher than the, the watchers or the critics. Um, yeah, but I I remember I gave Christmas Vacation a nine point five, and so I don't. <laughs> yeah, but you also gave Transylvania a six, or no, you gave The Burning a six. I think I gave The Burning a six. Yeah, so I'm definitely not going that low. <laughs> but I'm just wondering how high I should go, and I think a nine is fair. I really yeah. think, I, yeah. Okay, actually, I just remembered on Christmas Vacation, it's canon now that you retroactively changed your rating for The Burning. What did I change it to? You, I think you changed it to a two. Really? Yeah. Oh, I think I enjoyed it more than that. Okay. <laughs> well, I, well, I, I was not on the burning episode, but I did watch it with Theodore <laughs> here, and it was it was something. I retro retroactively go back to I don't know a five or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the burning's just gonna keep moving. I'm just gonna keep moving that score. <laughs> We're gonna have to do it next Halloween. Just again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, watch oh, it again. No, I'll do, do it that. Me. I would totally do that. <laughs> well, no, we have to have you on because the downvoter already did it. So oh, yeah. So it's my turn now. I like that. Every Halloween, we just do the burning with a different person again. <laughs> I have to. I have to bring Sarah in eventually if she ever has time. Yeah. She never has any time. Yeah, she's a very busy lady and mom. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Well, who would watch the kids if Sarah was on? <laughs> That's They'd true. Just have free reign of the house. Hell, maybe next year uh, Colleen will be old enough for the burning. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh no. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. She'll be like eight and three quarters by that point. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fine. Um. Okay. So is that it? Yeah, I think that's it. All right. For no hugging, no learning. I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Haldwell. Do you want to say your name and say be good as well? 
Okay, I'm Grace Hollowell, and you be good out there.